Hello, everybody, and uh, it's the 168th edition of the Frank and Stan chat. And for those of you watching on video, you'll see that we have a guest, uh, Steve McMullen's with us. Hello, Steve. Morning, Frank. Morning, Is it Sam. Steve or Stephen? I always called you Steve. It depends I... if I'm in trouble. Frank, you were my employer, and you know it depends if I'm in trouble or not. <laughs> Is that how your mother used to speak to you as yeah, well? Yeah, my Sunday, my Sunday <laughs> name includes the middle name too. <laughs> well, I won't let you. I'm tempted to get that revealed on the screen, but we won't. Uh, anyway, how are you, Stan? Uh, still suffering with a, a strange ear, so yeah. speaking a lot less, which is probably to everyone's advantage. Yeah. Well, the, the viewing figures have gone up since you've had that condition, <laughs> so uh, I'll make, continue, Stan. <laughs> so how's the family? I mean, I think um, your wife is still not very well, is she? No, she's still quite ill. Um, my son is ill, but he's been going to work ill, as you do when you work in school. Um, and my grandson is ill. Uh, again so uh it's uh it's it's a funny time we're yeah. we're all just thinking there will be a time soon when we're all fit and well again yeah. uh, but it seems to be not, not arriving as, <laughs> as we'd like yeah well um steve thank you very much for joining us um do you want to just give a little introduction about who you are and how you know stan and myself sure so um, I guess I, I probably see myself as a bit of a journeyman in education. You know, I've, I've been ahead. I've worked for local authorities in different capacities. Um, I was a, you know, I was a senior HMI at one point. Um, but my relationship with you too, well, Frank, we were, <laughs> you, you became my boss at a trust that was starting to expand. Uh, and we worked together for about a year and a half, two years. And Stan, um, I stepped into your shoes, not immediately, but uh, in another local <laughs> authority in my most recent job. And I was listening to uh, one of your other editions when it was your second outside broadcast. And I like to think that myself and my colleagues were responsible for your first outside yeah. broadcast yes, last yeah. year. And while you say you were never invited back, it wasn't personal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, actually trying to do a Frankenstein chat in front of 200 people in a, 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 a venue in York was always going to be a bit of a challenge, wasn't it, really? Um, we didn't really think enough about the process, did we, Stan? I think we just thought we could rock up. Yeah, we, we, well, we, we assumed that people would, would be really keen to throw questions yes. uh, about, you know, what's caught the eye and... That was like dragging blood from a stone at times. <laughs> I think it's, it's a funny thing, isn't it? When when you put 200 head teachers in a room and nobody has anything to say. Yeah. You know, they, they, they go really shy and coy, don't they? It's a strange yeah. thing. Yeah, I was saying to before that yesterday, I, I won't reveal where or who with, but I was with some sort of major business leaders. And uh, when they were asked to sort of just reveal how they were feeling and whatever there was silence you know there was this sense of it, it really needed i mean when they when they warmed up they were fine but actually there was this sense of well do i reveal weakness here you know if, if i raise an issue what's that saying about me and for them it's what's the weakness about my company or the company that i'm leading you know that sort of thing was the the issue i think that that was a you know behind their sort of hesitancy but uh yeah um yeah so we we worked for a, f a few years um in the co-op and i have to say i mean uh it was a really sort of 
interesting time, wasn't it? Because there were only a few tr- schools in a few academies there. And where it is now, I think it's over 30. Um, just Gosh. the thought of managing that you know, from where we were when it was just basically you, me, and a finance person who was part-time. Yeah, in the cupboard under the stairs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, well, thanks for joining us. And no, uh, um I mean, you're you're just to say now you're you're freelance, aren't you? You're yeah, yeah. So I um I'd always wanted to have a go at it, uh, uh, and um, what's really nice at the minute is not having a supervisor. Yeah. You, you know, because it's, uh, like me. it's <laughs> <laughs> Frank. I have to say, I learned so much from you. A lot of it worth not worth repeating. <laughs> No, but but actually, when I when I was became a senior and having to um, call it issue uh, documents, I discovered your love, and I share now your love for track changes on Word. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. it's you, you know you well, talk about to me and, and about precision in yeah, particular. I mean, yeah, I think particularly around writing, and Stan and I experienced that uh, um, in the mid nineties when we had a a reader called. Um, Jeffrey Hernshaw, who, if I, I don't know if Jeffrey's still alive, but I have to say, in terms of my professional development, he was one of the most influential people really? that I'd I'd ever met, and uh, uh, he, you know, it was an absolute weird that you you would hear the the thumping of this report because in those days it was all done by hand, mm-hmm. and it would be posted to you a thump onto the floor of the porch, and I'd run down, I'd scurry down. And I, I was scurrying down to the report because I knew that it was going to be supportive, but a- analysed, really analysed, you know, and really saying to you, well, what did you actually mean by that? You know, is that really what you were trying to say? It wasn't just about, well, that apostrophe is in the wrong place. It was really, really getting to, yeah. the, getting to understand what favorite. that inspection was about. My favourite, which I kept for a number of years, was uh, something like, Stan, this is the best uh, report I've ever read. Uh, here are 136 edits <laughs> that you might want to take. <laughs> I think one of the things, I mean, this isn't part of the chat, is it? But, it, but one of the things that saddens me is I do, where we are at the moment with reports in Ofsted, is that they're of little use to anybody. You know, when I when I think about the work that, that we did and i'm not wanting to go back to the 96 page report don't get me wrong i'm not wanting to go back to jeffrey hernshaw analyzing all these words but we've stripped it back to such a point that when i read the reports as i did with a school that we know this morning uh steve i'm not getting a sense of the school and all that it does you know i'm not getting that unique feel for the school anymore um which is something i think that needs to be reversed really um Anyway. It's very difficult, but doesn't it? Because just to to say something new, to say something different, if you're writing a report, 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 and and yeah. I think one of the one of the good things about the report now is there's no comment, particularly about safeguarding, because those were just you know became generic. Yes, and I think there is that. Who is it? Who is your audience? I do think the the feedback now in during inspections though. It's probably more valuable because mm-hmm. those who are present really do take it in, and, and that's what makes the difference. But you're right, you know, in, in terms of outward facing, the, the, the report, it's hard to continue to make each one different. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, Stan, what's caught your eye this week? 
Well, it's not what's caught my eye, probably what's caught my ear. <laughs> <laughs> um it's interesting. We we mentioned at the, the beginning that, that sort of the family have, have, have had a series of illnesses over the last four or five weeks. Um that by chance we have four different doctors that that my family we don't live that far apart, but we, we all have different doctors. So out of the four doctors, three have have said, yes, it's a, an infection and it'll require antibiotics. And for three people, that's been the, the outcome and it's been solved. For one person, no, it's a virus and therefore no antibiotics, which I understand. They don't don't want to give antibiotics out unless it has to be. But for that person, that illness has gone on far longer than the other, and, and it, I think it's a judgment call. It's it's a bit like Ofsted, you know that that maybe maybe the doctor got it wrong, or maybe maybe it's just a coincidence, and it is a slightly different illness than the rest of us has. But it, it seems a bit a bit strange that we've all caught it in the within the family. Yeah, but, um, but but you were saying before that it's a bit disconcerting when the doctor's looking up on Google. Yeah, I have to say, in defence, my my doctor's surgery, the practice, is absolutely excellent. I rang at 8 o'clock in the morning, at 10 past 8, they rang me back, and at quarter to 11, I had an appointment that day. Uh, Absolutely fantastic. Nobody in the waiting room when I got there. Uh, Doctor was expecting. It was just, Mm. it's just really good. And there's a culture now in that practice that was not there 10, 15 years ago. And the culture involves, you know, the the, you know, the receptionists. Yeah, <laughs> they actually want to help. They <laughs> genuinely want to help when yeah. you ring in. And they, I mean, at one point, this is some time ago now. Uh, I wanted to see a particular doctor in the practice, and the receptionist said, "I'm afraid it, you'll have to wait probably two weeks to see this particular doctor." But he's on emergency call on Thursday, so if you were to turn up on Thursday at eight o'clock. Uh, you you would get to see him. So it was just that trying a little bit harder to do what I needed, and that was not there. And it's yeah. the the guy who runs the doctor who runs the practice now has completely changed the culture of it. So it's outward facing. Well, it's, it's all about leadership, isn't it? Yeah, day, I'd say so. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have to, just to call out for the doctors that we have we've got an amazing service here as well and the online referral um has made a massive difference and uh having made one fairly recently you know i had a call back within about 15 minutes and uh i didn't actually have to go into the uh, surgery at all but uh, steve it's not quite like that for you though is it where you live no no we, we've uh, our doctors have just introduced a letter of application um <laughs> if you want an appointment uh, so you so you have to you have to write down send it in um and then it, apparently it's triaged is your letter so i don't know whether it's judged on, so, on your handwriting presentation who knows <laughs> well, i have to say one of us has a practice similar to that and, and coincidentally that's the one who seems to be different from everybody else but there was no really? first time no appointments at all couldn't even say uh, we'll make you on in two weeks' time. Uh, we've no appointments, and we have a, a walking centre, but there's no appointments there mm. either. So it's, it's really helpful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and of course, I mean, I do uh, a lot of work in Blackpool, or at least I'll, I have up to the end of this year. And uh, 
um, recruiting uh, GPs in those sorts of areas where demand is really high and you're under a lot of pressure. I mean, uh, all of this sort of, it's a bit of a supply and demand headache, really. You know, um, we're unfortunately living in a, a nice area, you know, that people, you know, generally do take their health very seriously. You know, so, it, you know, they sort of like these uh, occasional sort of things that you get doesn't overload the uh, the surgery, but uh, it's not like that when you've got house, you know, a lot of people in rented accommodation, poor, poorly up, you know, poorly looked after, lots of damp and stuff like that. You know, it's uh, it's it's a different sort of story. Um, I'm always constantly reminding myself that, you know, where I live is not life for the majority of people, you know. Um, anyway, Steve, what's caught your eye? So at the start of the week, uh, I think the Youth Endowment Trust produced a, a report about um, young people feeling scared about going to school and how it was impacting on their attendance. Um, and as I listened to reports on it, there was a, a young man came on. He was talking about his experience and that a lot of the worry now is about revenge. So actually, you know, it's revenge that's stoked by social media. It's revenge that's spoke that's stoked by other people egging on. And then we got to Tuesday uh, and we got to um, the change, or if you like, the reshuffle. And boy, did we see some revenge on Wednesday. You know, and, and, it, and again, that made me think, well, where are the models coming from? Mm. You know, we've got revenge now seems to, first of all, revenge has to be seen to be done. It has to humiliate or be seen to humiliate. Uh, and that made me think about all kinds of things about, well, where's, where does my view of integrity fit into this? Um, where does trust fit into this? You know, Because again, within that revenge, it's like, I've stoked this up because I know this will come and my day will come. Mm. Uh, and, and how is revenge respected? And, and, and I suppose going right back to growing up in, in Northern Ireland in the 70s and the 80s, you know, Revenge just took on a, a whole different approach, didn't it? You know, where people talked about revenge killings. And actually, these were these were done by people who weren't, maybe who weren't related, who didn't know. There was no social media, but look at the outcome. And I just start to 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 think about we this notion, but there has to be, everybody has to have somebody to blame. And are we working out that everybody has to be able to take revenge in some way? And it, and it just makes you feel really uneasy. Mm. Mm. There was, uh, I thought, the significant difference if you read the Jess Phillips resignation letter yes. Yes. as opposed to the uh, Braverman letter. There was there was something honourable about one and dishonourable about the other. And I, I just feel as though there was a way of, of responding to effectively being sacked, although it was a resignation letter, Um and doing it with honour and saying, well, you know, my principles say this, this and this. Mm. Whereas the, you know, you've always been weak, blah, 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 was just a strange, strange <clears throat> way to... Go on, Steve. I suppose it, it, it always comes down to how it looks in terms of your motivation, doesn't it? Mm. One looks as if it's purely selfish motivation as opposed to selfless. I, I, and I think that, Again, we're almost, you know, when you look at what those young people were talking about, the people who are taking revenge or feel the need to take revenge, that's, it's a very selfish 
mm-hmm. view of things, isn't it? You know, we all make mistakes. Maybe there is somebody to blame, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it needs, you know, something dramatic uh, and and public. And 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 I, 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 it's that I think. I mean, you've talked about honor. I, I suppose I think about it as in you know integrity or whatever. That if you hold a position, if you depend on your belief systems, I suppose it's about that actually how you put yourself across and yeah, well, stuff happens. Fair enough. You know, move on. It doesn't need to be acted upon. And if you do make it better, not worse. Mm-hmm. Oh, I came across this with um, some head teachers and I was a, an advisor some years ago where particularly if there'd been maybe a new head teacher and the staff had, had caused them problems or the parents had caused them problems, that once the problem's solved, they want to then, raise the barriers the banners rather with to show the blood that's that's been spilled yeah. to yeah. say i have finally won this battle with the parents and i say no you've won that you don't you don't need to now light another fire to, to start but there were some a couple i can think of particularly who absolutely wanted to say right i need everyone to know that i won this battle and, and i need it to be public and I think the the thing about the just the just Phillips letter made clear that she acknowledged that her boss, you know, Starmer's position was one that she understood. Yeah. Um, but she felt that she couldn't agree to it. Now, in a way, there was the acknowledgement that there was some right that they, in some respects, he was right, and that it wasn't um, a criticism of him as a person. You know, this was a, it was it was a a clearly thought through position. The position for Brotherman and Sunak for me felt like where she was saying, actually, we had a secret deal. Mm. You've reneged on the secret deal. And and in a way you're thinking, hang on a minute, no one told me there was a secret deal. You know, it, it felt very um, gritty and sort of unpleasant that as if we were sort of only party to a bit of the conversation. I think with the Phillips thing, it's all it feels a little bit more out in the open, you know, that no hard feelings, we will move forward, you know, all of this. This is Braverman and Sunak is there is a line now. You know, I, I you have crossed that line and we will never ever be able to work together again. You know, it's that sort of it's the finality of it. And uh she has you know in, she has calmed down, I don't know, or whatever, but she's she's trying to be a bit more reasoned. I'm not I'm not agreeing with what she suggested in the telegraph yesterday. Or is it today? Um, but actually, you feel as though, well, Phillips and Starmer, there's the basis of a an ongoing relationship with Braverman and Sunak. The way it's all managed, that's it. You know. But the other thing, Frank, about that is, is we've talked long, many, many times about the use of words, and and effectively, you've got you've got a breakdown of government almost based on whether something's a humanitarian break or a ceasefire. Mm. And it's it's those two words that have caused that, you know, and if the truth of the matter is, if the British government had voted for a ceasefire, it wouldn't have made any difference because we don't have the influence to be able to make that happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of, this is what we would wish. And rather than use the semantics of ceasefire, humanitarian break, why couldn't we just say, we wish all killing to stop. Yeah, and yeah. We, we all need to work towards a way where it does stop yeah. Ra- rather than force people. Again, it's something I said to Steve before, 
into one side or the other. You, yeah. you can't you can't have a position that it seems at the moment which is neutral or which can see strengths and weaknesses on both mm. sides. Interesting how Steve was mentioning about the the troubles in Northern Ireland in the 70s, 80s, you know, mm. and it, and it, it needed skilled politicians, didn't it, with a, an open heart, you know, on both sides, willing to engage to find a solution. You know, um, it feels as though, you know, when we're a long way away from that open heartedness, you know, in, in terms of British politics, but also in terms of international politics as well, you know. Um, and I feel as though we always bring it back to um, education and generally leadership. But, you know, in a way, if, if 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 a member of staff or one of your senior leaders in a school or a trust had written something like that, you know, I think you'd have to say, well, look, I'm really sorry, but you're out. <laughs> you know, I think you've... Really, I mean, you've you've been so disloyal, uh, and you know, I don't feel as though I can trust you anymore. But here we've got a situation where it's not like a business, is it? You know, the church of, of, of all these parties is very, very broad, and you know, basically they want people to stay in because they need the vote and all of this sort of stuff. You know, is at the heart of it. So I think that for me, looking at it, if a member of Stafford publicly said what that person had said about me as a leader I'd, I'd have to look at my own position and say you know have I got enough support amongst the rest of the crew or and if if not then it's probably time for me to go or I'm sorry you're gonna have there's gonna have to be some repercussions here it can't just be you know a demotion you know it feels much worse than that I think I'd, I'd, I'd be devastated in one way because I'd think how, how did you know as a leader how did I not see this? How did I not see it coming? Mm. Um, and I'd also, I mean, a bit like yourself, where I'd say, hang on, this isn't all about you. This is about a much bigger, a much bigger picture. You know, and, and, and it comes back to that. What, what, if it, in a school, what message are we giving to children? Yeah. What message are we giving to the nation? You know, and I think it's that, that kind of selfish attitude really makes it difficult it's not, a, it's not a great role model for anybody. And how do you, as a teacher, say, actually, yeah, it's okay to do it that way. You might not choose to, but it's okay. It's, it's just, it's, it's that role modeling. And, and, you know, if you did reach a point where you felt you had to have that really hard conversation with somebody, I still think as a leader, I'd be, it'd be one of those things that keeps me up at night saying, yeah. where did I get it wrong? What, yeah. what's, what's happened? What, what have I learned from that? And you wonder, what- do they ever learn? One of the things also from that is just that bit of this, there is a suggestion that there's something written down in terms of an agreement. You know, that that that, that for me is, what, what I love about sort of really uh, effective leadership is this willingness to say, I got it wrong, you know, or, or at least to say, I think you can trust where I'm coming from. You know, might not agree with it, but, you know, a bit like the uh, Phillips and uh, Starmer issue. But at the end of it, there's nothing, there's no, back office stuff here there's nothing going on i've not i'm not saying something to you now that i'm contradicting or or lying you're basically lying to others about mm. and what this highlights is just that little seed drops in doesn't it and you think well hang on there might you mean to say there was an agreement whether it was written or not and you've not revealed that and that's the reason why you got elected and that's the reason why she got a job six days after being sacked 
seriously is that what you're saying because that that seed then grows as a leader doesn't it into the next problem you think well hang on a minute you know what is going on here and you, and that level of trust disappears very quickly i think you know so i think there's a lot to be said for just we've said this many times get it out there get yeah. it out there that's the truth you know, the truth yeah let's know I mean, what's going on i don't know if you saw uh, the interview with uh, generic where he said yes we've been working on plan b for <laughs> for a number of months <laughs> And and, and the, the interviewer said, well, so you say that, because that, uh, Braverman said there is no plan B. Well, she worked on it. So are you saying she's lying? No. <laughs> so, so, why, why get yourself into yeah. a position yeah. where, you know, just but a, bit, things, a bit, just, bit of humility and a yes, bit of honesty. I agree. I agree. And, I, mean, and I would say the other thing that's happened in the last week or so, which which certainly highlights humility, is uh, Bobby Charlton's funeral mm-hmm. and the way he was viewed by everyone. Yeah. And everyone who was asked to comment on it talked about this great man who was so humble. And I think maybe that's what we're missing in some of our politicians at the moment. Wow. Um, well, uh, what's caught my eye this week is uh, uh, I was asked by Forum Strategy to do a review last year of... Uh, something Steve knows quite well, uh, the summary evaluations of multi-academy trusts. Um, and last year there were only five. Uh, this year there were 13. Um, and uh, Ofsted's decided, or the new chief inspector who's waiting to, uh, to step into the shoes of Amanda Spillman in January, has decided that they're going to halt them. They want to review the process. Um, and uh, I'm not sure whether that's because they've run out of inspectors and the school inspection program needs them all. It's everybody, you know, hands to the, to the pump sort of thing. Um, but anyway, this year I did a review and of course I was able to compare it to last year's and, uh, it was really interesting. Um, the, and, and just plugging here form strategy. If you want to, if you want to know what the detail was, you'll need to become a member of form strategy because I've written an article for their bulletin and also all of the slides are on their website or will be soon. But I can reveal that the two areas that came out uh, in the recommendations um, most strongly was, as you would expect, curriculum mapping, you know, not sufficiently well embedded across all schools, that sort of stuff. But more interestingly for me, um, was the um, last year that it was a bit of hero worshipping for the CEO. You know, so it's, uh, there was a lot of uh, stuff in there about the CEO being visible, known to all staff, you know, visiting schools on a regular basis, um, you know, uh, demonstrating through his or her work the values and principles that they were wishing to sort of uh, show across the trust. Now, nothing wrong with that. Um, but actually this year, it's moved much more to a wider view of leadership. So governors and trustees are now in these 13 reviews much more centrally uh, significant in terms of uh, of the, the work that's going on. And so the things that were coming out were, you know, they, they didn't understand their responsibilities. Some of them didn't understand the strategic plan. Some of them didn't know what the, the trust was actually focusing on this year. Um, they didn't know what the vision was. And, and the, the thing that I think is probably most relevant is this sort of ability to hold CEOs to account. And I've raised this before um, because I was, you, you, you're probably tired of all hearing this, but you know, why did the co-op bank, for example, go bust, you know, or nearly collapse, you know, was around 
governance, you know, and a lot of time spent after that in the co-op um, doing governance reviews, making sure there was sort of challenge in the right places. Um, but actually, you know, some CEOs, whether it's in trusts or in business, you know, they they believe in their their own power. You know, they've created this monster. And one thing they don't want is anybody sort of muscling in and, and making it more difficult for them. But I think it was really good that the uh, summary evaluations were starting to pivot towards more of that. And I think that's a healthy place to be um, going forward. So I'm going to reveal now, Steve, your hands were all over this, weren't they? Not the reviews, but the, the, the structure. Well, that's maybe a bit overplaying it a wee, but <laughs> I, I think I, I was I was in a really lucky position in that I, when I joined Ofsted, I just finished working for for the co-op with yourself, and and it's interesting you talk about governance because at that point in time when the co-op was imploding and and we were there, there were many many tiers of governance. You know, because one of the things about it was there were so many tiers. It was like a local authority almost, wasn't it? Because everything had to be democratic and and, and really well thought through. And it shows that those checks and balances don't always work. And I think with with trusts, 10 years ago, CEOs were new to it. There was no, there really wasn't a blueprint and, and, and the expansion that was required and the pressure to expand uh, that was placed on, on on some trusts back then, you know, overnight we need you to take on a hundred schools. And and just to, I mean, you both worked in Wakefield, didn't you? Where yeah. I remember uh, um, being at the co-op in that beautiful sort of conference area under, you know, in the ground floor or beneath mm. the ground, yeah. and listening to the CEO of the Wakefield City Academy Trust. Mm. And, and actually, I was something rang in my head feeling this isn't right it just felt didn't feel right i couldn't sort of put my hand on it but i thought if we're going to grow as a trust we're not going to grow like this and i, I and i didn't really have an idea how that was going to work you know mm. but you were right the pressure at that time to 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 prove yourself that you were a good trust because vicky beer or some regional director somewhere was lobbying 10 schools at you or whatever you know there was the the ego that went with that and that was in effect you were effective if she was willing to or they were willing to give you those sorts of schools you know um mm-hmm. i think there was also a a misunderstanding of of how you fix some of the particularly and i'm not picking any particular mat out but to say you know yes a conversation i had is we've just taken on two failing schools primary schools we haven't got any primary school we, I think they had one primary school in the mat um, and I said so how are you going to support them well there's a really good year six teacher in our current one who who will work with those two schools and you think you're, you're yeah. so far away from yeah. where you need to be if you're going to take on two schools that are in real difficulty and turn them around it's not sending a year six teacher in it, yeah. it's something far far more than that so you were saying steve weren't you that you were in ofsted when there were very few people who had any experience of working at a senior level in a trust yeah and and i think and and um i think in in, in seeing that it was going in and, and from experience possibly one that you're talking about going and say well let's have a look at the finances and how those are run let's have a look at um who payments are being made to and and that 
introduces, you know, nepotism and all kinds of things, which were never evident before. And but I think there is part of that where when we when we become ahead at a school, actually we usually become ahead because we were a decent teacher. It's a completely different job. And then you introduce this completely new job of CEO of a trust, which has virtually nothing to do with teaching. And it has nothing to do with leading a school because it's a completely different system. And then you add into that, actually what we have to do is now go from being one school to being 20 and getting that infrastructure in place. I think you and I would probably agree that that's the bit that takes time. It's yeah. the infrastructure because you've got to plan ahead and do that. Now, that's a completely different business model. And and I think the clue there is it's a business model. Mm-hmm. And so if you're coming from being ahead of, of a school to doing that, that's a big leap. But there was no, in the day, there was no blueprint. And now, I guess, we're starting to see, and I think as, as I was leaving Ofsted, we were starting to see the second generation of CEOs where it maybe wasn't about, it was less about ego or mates mats. It was about people who were coming in and actually had a better view of, right, I can see what this is now. Yeah. Um, I, I, so I, I can see how that would develop and, and, and would improve. And But you're right, you know, and, and everything in school starts with good leadership and it starts with good governance. And you taught me that, actually. Well, I always say if you get... You get good governors that invariably yeah. they'll they'll appoint some good people, and if they're yeah. not good, they'll either make them really good or they'll say, "Well, look, you need to go somewhere else." You know, yeah. uh, and, he, and think, even still, sorry, Stan, even no, still, when when you're inspecting, governors still talk about it's about support, and and it's it's about it's actually about the checks and the balances, isn't it? You know, they need to be there for the checks and the balances, and and still too little is. Is said about recorded about challenge. You know, here are here are published results. That's great. Thanks. Move on. Yeah. And it's not that. Come on, let's unpick and and really improve because of that. Sorry, Stan. No, it's, I was just going to say the head of government services that I worked with for a number of years used to say to me, "You point to a good head teacher, and I'll tell you there's a good governing body there." Yeah. And he said that works both ways. Good head teachers create good governing bodies, and good governing bodies create good head teachers. Hmm. But, you, you, but I, I, I guess it's it's this um, governors come in and we think they'll be good because well I went to school once yeah. uh, and I, I, you know and that doesn't you know that really doesn't help uh, and and so I think it, in that respect I know for me when I was in schools to try and move them forward I'd often attack, just on my, my head teacher report say ask me about this challenge me about this because actually that's they need coaching as well don't they i think one of the things you mentioned before which we might not have time to cover in detail was around whether certain governors or trust board leaders uh, chairs need to be paid and I'm, i was just thinking that the uh in the co-op i think when i left it was the 24th largest cooperative business in the country with a turnover well turnover but it was dealing with about mm. 240 million pounds and we were fortunate to have a, a brilliant chair of, of, of the trust board who's been chair since the, the whole thing started. Mm-hmm. He is an amazing person, but he's paid by the co-op, you know, in a way he's doing this work for the co-op. But to think of somebody else, you or me or whatever, being a volunteer and actually as a trustee, you know, 
there are certain legal responsibilities that fall on you to think, mm, hang on a minute, that's a lot of money, a lot of things going on. Um, and I'm just a, I'm just part, well, part time, unpaid. I do the best I can, sort of thing. It does make you wonder whether or not, you know, there is perhaps more expectation could be placed on trust uh, um, chairs if they were paid, and an expectation well, that they would take it a bit more seriously than some do. Well, it, it certainly takes up a lot of headspace for starters, but then I think where where I've seen schools failing. Are struggling. You need somebody who's going to commit time to support the head, who knows their stuff, and to support the head. Now, if if you feel you have got time, that's great. But in, in actual fact, you need to be somebody who, who will invest days at a time. And you probably know it. You know from from mm-hmm. chairing, being an independent chair of things. Because the other thing that that brings is um, a courage to challenge. Because you're being paid to do it, and you know, and I think where you're, you know, what I'm saying with independent chairs, ind- independent chairs, or or those who are really heavily invested that way, are able to say, actually, stop, or wh- where's the impact here? Or you said you'd do it, and you haven't done it, mm. and so I think there probably is an argument in some cases for 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 some form of remuneration to get the best people who will invest time. Yeah, but it's it's also that knowledge. Isn't it? I mean, I'm thinking now when where I'm a governor in my first, I think it was my first term, um, we were looking at the SATS results, and I said, really, we ought to have access to FFT, uh, so that that the governors can can look at the results independently, and and some of the governors were absolutely shocked that I was suggesting that we should have a second check on on what we were mm-hmm. being told, and thankfully the head who's who's very good said. You're absolutely right. And governors, you should have a second view so that you can make sure that what I'm telling you is accurate and the truth. Uh, And so everyone settled down. But for that first fraction of a second, when I was suggesting maybe that we were being told things that weren't right, there was a a real reaction to say, Mm -hmm. that's not how we work here. We we are very supportive. And I was a good head. Who said, "Yeah, it does need that challenge, and we do need you do need to say that's not good enough." And once they knew that, some of the governors, with no real experience of schools, were excellent and are excellent at asking really key questions that that they've I, I, improved. It does, and it's interesting you talking about challenge there. You'll have seen it. You'll both have seen it in working for local authorities, where sometimes heads are saying. I don't like the way I'm being challenged yeah. or, you know, it's, it's how the challenge is made. Yeah. And it, it probably is an element of that where having somebody who is invested in chairing can again, model that and show how it's done and make sure that it is appropriate and, and the way it's worded is appropriate. As opposed to you know, taking it full circle to where we are before, well, I, yes. how you lay down a challenge to somebody yeah. uh, and how that's received. Yeah. Well, that's 40 minutes, folks. Really? That's amazing, isn't it? You said it would fly by. I know. <laughs> well, thank you, Steve, for joining us. Um, Thanks, Steve. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, and uh, I hope everything's getting better in your house by the time we meet next Friday, Stan. Yeah, well, what I'm hoping now, now I've heard something we've not mentioned on here, the, the story of the very hungry caterpillar, 
I'm hoping I can see a video of yeah. that. Uh, that would be, uh, yeah. Send me to sleep. If, if we have a video of a certain hungry caterpillar, <laughs> we will put it at the end of this video. Okay. So, uh, anyway, thanks, Steve. Thank you, Stan. And uh, we'll pleasure, be guys. see everybody next Friday. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye.